The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. guest today has appeared in over 50 films and television productions. Among them are three films with director Lawrence Kasdan, Silverado, Grand Canyon and Wyatt Earp. He has appeared in several films with Academy Award winner Kevin Costner. Alan also co-starred with Robert Duvall in his Academy Award nominated The Apostle and again more recently in the Emmy Award winning AMC original miniseries Broken Trail, where he received excellent reviews for the role of Marshal Bill Miller. He is also preparing to direct his first feature, The Midnight Hour, developed with screenwriter Stephen Graham, set against the vibrant backdrop of Delta Blues. It's a powerful story of the bond between friends, one white, one black, tested to its core, that endures despite crossing racial lines during a time of great upheaval in America's history, civil rights era. Todd Allen, welcome to you. Thank you very much, David. I understand, Todd, that you're in uh, sunny Texas today. I am in sunny Texas today. I happen to be uh, back in my hometown of Austin, which is, as many people will tell you, is the crown jewel of Texas, and I, I would agree with that statement. I love that part of the neck of the woods, but unfortunately I haven't been able to get there recently. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's uh, Springtime in Austin is, uh, is spectacular. Todd, it's a uh, real privilege to have you here today, and we're talking really about your life and career as an actor, writer, and producer. I'd like to uh, throw us straight into this and start off with a brief synopsis of your work, if you may just give that to us so our listeners have a good visibility here. I, I will. You know, it was a fairly inauspicious start for me. I actually, uh, well, let me let me go all the way back to the very beginning, and that I think it might be instructive. I, um, I was a business major at the University of Texas, not a film major, not a theater major. And I wasn't all that happy with the business school or, and probably wouldn't have been happy at any business school. <laughs> and my grades uh, reflected that fact. But I, uh, on one particular day, I was uh, driving out. We had a family ranch at the time up in the, in the hill country. And uh, I was driving out. I saw a bunch of trucks on the side of the road and strange-looking lights set up and, and, you know, thought pretty quickly that it was a movie set. And I just decided to stop and check it out. And uh, as I walked through the gate of this kind of ranch property, they mistakenly assumed that I was the son of the man who owned the property. So everybody came running over to me and was incredibly nice and welcoming and uh, I just kept saying hello to everybody and, and not telling them that I, I wasn't the son of the man that owned the property. And uh, <laughs> within about, you know, five minutes, somebody took me over and said, would you like to meet our director? And I said, sure. And 
so I did and said hello and and uh, now after some 50 films later I I truly know how busy that man was and uh, at the time I had no idea I sort of glued myself to his hip for an hour asked a lot of questions about cameras and lights and this and that and you know everything was new to me I'd never been on a film set at one point he said would you like to come rehearse the actors with me and I said sure so so I I did that you know and watched the actors rehearse and really it, somewhere along that in within that hour the the light bulb came on for me in a way and I, I just thought you know I can do this and it wasn't very long after that that I, uh, I, I announced to my, my family that I was, I was going to Hollywood. How yeah. old were you then? I was uh, 21. And so in your childhood prior to that, had you ever considered this road you know, before, or was this really the first launch into film? No, it, it was absolutely the first launch into film. I, I hadn't ever considered it. I didn't know anything about acting. I just happened to be a movie lover. My mother was a movie lover, and, and I think she trained my father to, to be one as well, although he, he particularly you know, liked Westerns and not much else. But, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. You know, half the family was deeply shocked and thought I had lost my mind. And <laughs> my, mo- my mother, you know, burst into tears and gave me a big hug and said, it's about damn time. So, you know, I, I had both the... I had both extremes. Was uh, Texas a landmark at that stage for filmmaking? You know what, it, it, it was, maybe more so than now. You know, at that, at that point, uh, no one really had film incentive programs like they do now. So, you know, a movie would originate in, in Los Angeles, and they would go out and start looking for, you know, landscapes and locations in Texas probably had more to offer than any other state you know and and still does it's just that and with the passage of film incentive package in, in other states in recent years texas has lost quite a bit of film revenue has much changed over the years since you were a child what differences have you seen in the landscape and the ways of life there well you know i've lived in los angeles for the past 27 years so but i will say that i would come back here fairly often and I, I certainly would come back and go to texas longhorn football games i'm a i'm a, a, a radical longhorn football fan but you know austin in particular has you know quadrupled in size since i was a child here um it, it no longer really has the the small town feel that it once did but it's still and i think this is what probably what makes austin unique is you know it, it does retain a lifestyle element to it that i think most other cities don't offer i know dallas doesn't particularly maybe a part of dallas would but uh, houston certainly doesn't uh, austin's very austin's actually reminds me a lot of san diego everybody's outdoors everybody's you know on the hike and bike trail and jogging everybody's on mountain bikes everybody's you know it's a very outdoor oriented social city uh, much like san diego is you just don't have the surfing here you don't have surfing in san diego either but (laughs) i I was gonna say unless you're um ducking from hurricanes and tornadoes and everything else there right because they they travel through that area don't they right they do yeah 
You make a very quick start in your career. I'm putting you down and keeping you down until Gans is locked up or dead. And if Gans gets away, you're going to be sorry you ever met me. I'm already sorry. We are now at 48 hours, and I'd like to talk to you about that, where you played a young cop, and you worked with the, the greats, Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy, uh, back in 1982. How was that to, uh, to start your career? You know what? Pretty phenomenal, actually. I had met the director, Walter Hill. <clears throat> I, I, actually, I went to New York and studied acting at a, you know, a very famous acting school there called the Neighborhood Playhouse, which is, you know, the Sanford Meisner School, and, uh, which happens to be a school where, you know, Robert Duvall attended and Gregory Peck and James Kahn and, you know, a number of really well-known actors have gone to the Playhouse. And uh, while I was there, I met uh, Walter Hill at a, at a screening of a film he had directed, and, you know, Walter's one of those guys that, uh, you know, he, he reminds me a little bit of, you know, of interviews I've seen of John Ford. I mean, he's kind of a brusque, you know, loud cigar. In those days, probably was chewing a cigar kind of a guy. And he's, you know, it was one of those things where he said, hey, you know, kid, have you, have you ever been in a movie? And I, I said, no. And he said, well, you got a SAG card? And I said, no. And he said, you, you want one? <laughs> and it was one of those. And uh, his wife at the time was, you know, a senior agent at, at ICM, which is, you know, one of the, one of the big boys' yeah, yeah. agencies. And I went out to L.A. and, and met with ICM, and they, they, yeah, I, I truly had no idea who they were. That's how green I was. I didn't know that they were one of the biggest agencies in the world, and they, they signed me on the spot and, you know, sent me out for the lead role in a feature film that day. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, needless to say, I didn't get it. But <laughs> What was it like, though, when you were on the set, when you were on your first film? Are you somewhat aghast or starstruck at being next to these amazing actors like Nolte and Murphy? I, I, I kind of was, yeah. Oddly enough, and I'll, I'll back up just a bit here, the intro to film for me was on another little film before 48 Hours by, you know, a couple of months. And the movie hadn't come out yet when I did 48 Hours. So, you know, by the time I, I got to do 48 Hours, that satisfied the requirements to get my Screen Actors Guild card and, and all of that came true. But the movie I did prior to that was my first scene on film ever, uh, it was actually shot in Texas. I flew myself from New York to Texas to do it, and that sounds like you flew yourself in a Cessna one fifty two or something. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. I didn't do that. I, I, I paid my own way is what I meant. But I, I paid my way to Texas, and the scene was. I had one scene with Kirk Douglas, and you know what was pretty much a low budget film that Kirk was doing, and. Uh, uh, you know, it was one of those just god-awful experiences where I, I had one line. I played a deputy in a small Texas town at a, at a sheriff's office, and Kirk walked into the office and asked me to see the sheriff. And I, my one line was something like, well, the sheriff is busy right now. And uh, <laughs> the unfortunate part was that the shot started down the road with a, you know, huge steady cam rig and a dolly set up and Kirk had to drive the car and get out of the car and the camera switched then to the steady cam and followed him into the house and into my, 
into my office. So it was, it wasn't like you could just reset and do another take. It was a huge undertaking. We did it. The director said action. Everything started. Kirk drives up, you know, walks in, asked me the question about the sheriff. And I, I looked up and I swear to God, it was the first time in my life that I've ever just been completely dumbstruck and nothing came out of my mouth. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, oh my God, it's Spartacus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so the director said, God, 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 what's the problem? And I said, no, yeah, I'm sorry. I just forgot, you know? And so they, they, they reset and Kirk had to go back and get in the car, drive all the way down the road, do the whole thing. Well, it, it happened again. Oh, you're and, kidding. No, and the director got mad and started screaming. And so Kirk says, you know, everybody take five. And, and he walks over to me and rubs the, you know, rubs my shoulders. He stands behind me and he goes, you first time on film? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, and he goes don't worry. And he goes, I-, I did the exact same thing. He goes, here's the deal. And he's rubbing my, and I'm thinking to myself, my God, Kirk Douglas is, is you know, rubbing my shoulders. <laughs> and he, he leans around and, and said something to me that has been true for me for the last 27 years. And his, it was probably the best, the best advice I ever got as an actor. And, and he, what he said was, look, here's the thing. All you have to do is look me in the eye and tell me the truth. And I looked at him and said, you know what, I can do that. And he looked at the director and said, Todd's ready to go. And, you know, we did one more and I, I did it and it was perfect. And the director said, why, why the hell didn't you do that for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at that stage you were fired and that was it, was it? Yeah. It was all over. So... <clears throat> That that was really the start, but you know, by the time I got to Forty Eight Hours, I, I, yeah, I, I got to say I was a big Nick Nolte fan. I had certainly seen, uh, you know, the miniseries he did where he got famous, um, Rich Man Poor Man, and you know, Eddie Murphy was was not yet a big movie star, but he but you could sure tell, you know, who that guy was when he hit the set. And 48 Hours was interesting. Uh, you know, it was one big scene, and, and I have to pick a fight with Nick. And, uh, you know, Young Cop was actually true. Uh, <laughs> I walked out, and, you know, Walter Hill went, My God, you know, can we stick a mustache on him? He looks like he's 12 years old, so they glued this big mustache on me. You're now... Uh, established you've been in a film you've been with these great actors and i looking at your resume it's quite amazing you're you're traveling quickly through life here and only three years later you you reach silverado uh, where you're playing deputy kern and you know you've got kevin klein kevin costner scott glenn danny glover next to you what is that translating in your mind now going from 48 hours to a hit like silverado you know, it was very interesting. I mean, I felt like I, I had been really well prepared at the Neighborhood Playhouse, and I felt like I knew what I was doing, and I would get into a scene with these guys, and I didn't seem to get nervous. I didn't seem to get flustered. I, I felt very comfortable, and I think that's probably been true my whole career. I've, I have felt comfortable with these guys and you know i mean silverado was a nice departure for me because it 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 was within a couple of months or two or three months of making that film that i got cast 
in a little low-budget film called Witchboard, but I was the star of the film, and it was a lead role, and it was the first time I ever carried a film. And I have to say, you know, I felt more comfortable carrying the movie than I did playing, doing, having one scene. It's, it sounds odd, I know, but when you have one scene seems like there's a lot of pressure on you to deliver and and you you know it's a small thing and you don't really know how you fit into the overall picture and you know all of that is true you mean you to some extent do you feel left out that you can only enter a film for a very short space of time and then get yanked while the, the rest of the film is made does that insulate you from the process at that stage in your career no it doesn't that's not no i don't mean that i, I just mean that you if you've got a small part one scene or two scenes or something like that you're there for a few days and they're there for three or four months and the only way I can really describe it is I was more comfortable being the lead in the movie than I was not. And usually it's the opposite. You feel, you know, I've got friends of mine that, that are movie stars that, would, you know, we've talked about it. And they said, you know, the first time I ever got a lead role in a movie, I was a nervous wreck the entire time because I didn't want to let anybody down. And I, I, I realized everything was rising and falling on my shoulders. And I don't know. I, I I had the opposite feeling. I, I felt better. Before we move on to uh, the Pancho Barnes in 1988, where you played Chuck Yeager, uh, can I just ask you, with Silverado, what is it that you take from these leading actors? Are you able to stand at a distance and analyze how they work, how they think, how they feel, and translate that into your own style? Yes, if you're smart, you are. I would probably describe my style on a movie set is one of those actors that's never in his trailer. I'm always on the set, even if I'm not working. And because I want to learn and I want to see how other people navigate those waters. And I, I learned a great deal from, from all of those guys, Costner in particular, because I spent more time with him and, and, you know, he and I would hang out at night as well. And we were, you know, roughly the same age and, and roughly, you know, doing the same kinds of things, except, you know, his career took off faster. But, uh, yes, you do. You, you, you learn a lot from watching how those guys navigate those waters. Uh, Gene Hackman, you know, has a particular way about him. And he, you know, he would come in incredibly well prepared, knew everything cold. And when he was done, he would go. And, you know, Costner doesn't work that way. He's always there. He's always on the set. He's, he's always asking questions. And so, yeah, you do learn a lot from these guys. So you travel through very quickly here. You're playing in Pancho Barnes. And, of course, now you're in television. Very briefly, before we move on here, what is the paradigm that you go through from being on a film set to being in television, which is maybe differently set up, multi-camera systems, different styles of the DP? What does that do to your work and your feeling <laughs> about your acting? You know what, it, for me, and multi-camera was never my forte. I, I haven't done a lot of half-hour stuff. So when I would do a television show, it was typically shot like a film. But the, the real difference is, and, and this was the, the learning curve for me, was the speed. And, you know, on Silverado and Wyatt Earp and $80 million films, the pace of the shooting is so so much slower and you can take your time and you can do seven takes and 12 takes and 15 takes and 
It's not so in television. It is very fast. You're lucky if you get more than one take, and you better get it right. And that's probably the biggest difference. I'm moving on now, Todd, to the postman. There used to be a postman for every street in America. They wore uniforms and hats, just like this one. Getting a letter made you feel like you were part of something bigger than yourself. I don't think we ever really understood what they meant to us until they were gone. Probably one of my favorite films where you play Gibbs. Again, you're with Kevin Costner. I'm sure that you're seeing the evolution in his style as much as yours. What was that film to do for you? I mean, that, that was an, a quite amazing film. And how did you see Kevin at that stage changing in his style, his delivery? Well, you know, that was an interesting film in that I was on location for about five months. I think I shot you know, 100 days out of 105 shooting days, which is, which is a long schedule. And really, that film was kind of an exercise in frustration for me because, yes, you know, Gibbs was a, a character in the film, but it was a fairly undeveloped character. And, you know, by the time we got to the end of a long movie and they started having to make cuts and things, Gibbs got cut down pretty badly. And so it was a bit of a frustration for me, but... Kevin, that was the first time I'd ever worked with Kevin where he directed. And I spent a lot of time on the set with him. And there were a lot of times where he was directing himself, you know, as both director and star of the film. And, and he would go, you know, do a shot. And and he would see me standing there and he'd walk over and ask me, you know, what, how did that look to you? I was talking actor's lingo with him so that he... Because it's got to be so difficult to direct yourself like that. You, you've got one eye on the camera and one eye on your performance, and usually something will suffer. It's amazing, though, that he has the ability to be able to turn around and ask others for their criticism, for their thoughts. I've heard that Kevin is very open-minded on a set, very collaborative. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. In fact, you know, uh, like I say, I've learned a lot from him over the years in terms of that. Larry Kasdan once accused me of assuming the Costner mantle because I would adopt Kevin's method and, and go ask about a thousand questions and come up with shots and come up with moments and come up with things to do that were cool. And you know, so, so Kasdan said, yes, you, you finally assumed, the, you know, the Costner mantle. I said, okay. Very briefly, though, do you think that Kevin Costner will really be remembered for Dances with Wolves? I mean, do you think that that was his flagship thus far in his career? I would say, you know, thus far in his career. Kevin's got some, some projects in his pipeline that are pretty spectacular. Hopefully we're going to do some together, and we've talked about that. But, yeah, that that and, you know, Field of Dreams certainly resonated globally. Uh, and still does with people. But dances probably holds a special place, and I'm, I'm sure it probably holds 
a special place in, in, in his heart as well. It was such a personal film for him. Now, moving on, because we're going to bring your partner into this program in five minutes, oh, um, who is working on The Midnight Hour with you, Stephen Graham. I'd like to just talk about Broken Trail. my feet in the water with you. There are so many things one wishes they might change about their lives. I want to say that it is you, and you alone, who will abide in me in my final hour. Thank you, Mr. Ritter, for giving me back my life, even if I could not share it with you. With warmest thoughts, Nola Jones. You played Marshal Bill Miller featured Robert Duval, Robin Hayden Church. Now, that was an amazing series. And again, you have the ability to be able to travel between TV and film fairly fluidly here. You know, I think it's been true my whole career, even back in the early days when the line between film and television was much more pronounced than it is now. Uh, when I started, your agents, anyone's agent, but certainly my agents told me, look, you can't do both. You can't be doing television all the time, and the feature directors won't take you seriously. But I always managed to work in both, really from the first of my career, and still do. Robert Duval, though, was an amazing man and an amazing actor. You have The Apostle, you have Broken Trail. What is his style that is different to Kevin's? You know, I think... I could say this. I mean, Duval directed me in The Apostle, and, and that's a story in itself, which I, I won't go into. Uh, we probably don't have the time, but, you know, I mean, just briefly, I got a phone call that he wanted me to come do a role in The Apostle, and I didn't know what the script was. I didn't know what the role was. And, you know, there was another actor that had unfortunately had to fall out at the last minute, and the casting director tracked me down basically and and said can you get to louisiana by tomorrow <laughs> and i did and you know i had him take me straight to the set and uh, rather than the hotel i had made a snap decision that you know what uh, if if robert duvall is is asking for me to come and do a movie that that he wrote and is directing and starring in and and has spent 13 years trying to get it made then you know what i'm going to go do that movie and I did, and I got on a plane and went. So when I got to the set, just after arriving from the airport, you know, they told him, they said, Bobby, you know, Todd's here, and he stopped directing. He was in the middle of directing a scene and stopped and walked over to me and gave me a big bear hug and thanked me for coming and said, have you, have you read the script? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, you know what the character is? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, well, take a walk with me. And he, he put his arm around me, and we walked off down the street. Interestingly, you know, at the corner of my eye, I see some, some guy pass us by going the opposite direction, and this deep voice says, hello. And, you know, I didn't say anything, but Duval did, because I, I was focused on him. And it dawned on me about 10 feet further down the sidewalk that that voice was so familiar. And I turned around, and it was Johnny Cash who had just said hello to us. And that was an interesting experience as well. But, but yeah, listen, Duvall is the consummate kind of almost, I, I'm going to use the word improvisational, but I don't want it to sound, I don't want it to make you think that he is loosey-goosey with it. He is not. He is so well prepared, and he works 
as hard as anybody I have ever seen on a scene or on a moment or on, a, on an exchange. It's just that he's so prepared when it comes to the day or the moment and you're shooting it. If you do three takes, he does it three completely different ways. When I had the pleasure of talking to Sir Michael York, the film actor, we talked about Laurence Olivier and some of these amazing actors, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. I get the feeling that Robert Duval is the sort of chap who completely immerses himself into the character. Is that the case on the set that you see where it's difficult to sort of uh, get near him at that stage, to sort of pierce the veil? No, I have never experienced that. I have always been very much had the ability to approach him and talk to him and uh, you know he's never he's never shut that side off at least to me i can see how he might because he does truly immerse but typically you know in between takes duval will he'll either talk about you know good cutting horses or ranches or who's got the best barbecue <laughs> <laughs> So he's typically American and Texan in that whole approach. He calls me the mayor of Austin. He, he loves to come to Austin. And I showed him a good time one time when he was here filming something. I happened to be here at the same time. And so he, he now calls me the mayor. But, but secretly, he loves Texas. It's not even secretly. I keep telling him he should buy a ranch down here. He goes, <laughs> you know, he goes oh, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. You've now traveled through many, many films and TV productions. You've got some 50 behind you at this stage. You're now at the establishment of your production company, Presidio Films. And one of the films, or one of the scripts that I would like to talk about that we've talked about prior to the program is The Midnight Hour. Mm. And at this stage, uh, what I would like to do is bring your partner in for this, Stephen Graham, who wrote this with you. Perfect. Stephen Graham, partner and the writer-producer of The Midnight Hour, second-generation Texan who grew up in Dallas and earned his master's degree in film and television with honors from Southern Methodist University, raised on a working ranch, also in rural East Texas, yet went to undergraduate and graduate school in England, of all places. <laughs> that depth and variety reflected not only in his persona, but also in his characters and the writing of The Midnight Hour. So I'd like to welcome Stephen Graham to the program. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Stephen, how are you today? I'm well. I'm uh, enjoying listening to Todd and all of his stories. I'm going to invite him to put on his writer, producer, director hat now. <laughs> going on as an actor. So we're going to completely change the whole tone of the program, are we? There you go. <laughs> Stephen, um, let's talk about the Midnight Hour. You have been working with Todd now for a very long time on this program. Before I ask Todd to do the same, would you like to give a brief two-minute synopsis on this script and on your future Well, I'll planning? say this. Todd does a better job than that, of that than I do. So I'm defaulting to Todd on this, am I? Yeah, so, so I'm going <laughs> to let him jump in there. Okay, Todd. But I, I would also say that Todd and I really found that we worked better in a, a beautiful way and very synergistic and... I would be the first to acknowledge Todd's contribution, not only to the story, but to me, to take it from a history, heavily laden factual element into something that's vibrant and alive. Todd really, uh, really brought that to the project, and I'm sure that he will bring even more as a director. So I'm very excited about seeing that work realized with his hand on it. I bet you're red-faced now, aren't you, Todd? Yes, I am, as a matter of fact. Um, 
Todd, could you, for the listeners, without giving too much weight, obviously, because I realise where you are with this, right. uh, give a, a general idea of what the midnight hour is going to be, what it's suggesting as far as our culture and society is concerned? Yeah, you know, it's the midnight hour is truly a special project. And Stephen, I asked him one time about it, and his answer was, man, I've, I've been carrying that thing around for 10 years. And finally it came out of me and i believe that uh, truly about this project it you know it speaks to so many things about our lives and so many things about our culture and so many things about people and who people really are and you know the music of the movie is well let me say this it's set in the world of the delta blues in in primarily in memphis primarily in the 1960s during the Civil Rights era. And the music is a vehicle for the film, but the true story is one of colorblind friendship, I would say. And these two young boys, one black and one white, meet at a church. The white character has sort of run away from a bad home situation and he went to the only safe place he could find and it was a church and it happens to be a black church in memphis on a sunday morning during a service and they meet and they very quickly realize that when they play music together magic happens and they set themselves to the task of becoming memphis's first mixed band and they are ill-prepared for what the world in the Deep South at that time in America has to offer them. And that's really the crux of the film. It's a beautiful story. What was it primarily, and Steve, I'll come to you in a second, what was it primarily, Todd, now as a very established writer, director, producer, that brought you to this script? What did you see in it that was different from other scripts that you had been working with? Stephen has a real beautiful way of writing and he certainly has a beautiful way of writing dialogue for characters steven's a white guy from texas but i often accuse him of secretly being a black man from somewhere that you know he's he's hiding it but he he writes beautiful (laughs) dialogue and to answer your question is what drew me to it was that it's it's about the realization and the pursuit of a dream and and that's very much true of any artist i think it's certainly true of me you know uh, once i decided that i was going to become an actor or a filmmaker that was a dream for me and i was fortunate in the sense that my dream happened for me pretty quickly as a matter of fact but that's really the the essence of of the midnight hour for me is it's about the dream and it's about the dreamers and that's very much true of it's one of the reasons dr king is is in that script is his dreams are are filtered throughout this story as well and that's really what drew it to me it was the dream of it and the innate sweetness of the story at the center of it and Stephen, you had obviously been working on this a very long time what was it in your life what were the experiences that you would had that acted as a catalyst to write this very piece that's a good question david and, and i'm reminded of john fowell's comments about the french lieutenant's woman and i think as an artist there is an image there there is some strange thing that calls to you and you have no idea what it's about or where it falls but it won't leave you alone and you're beckoned to follow that into the essence of the story 
for him and that particular thing. It was a strange woman on the quay. It, uh, it was just with waves flashing around her. And, and for me, I first focused on David Haversham's book, The Children. Are you familiar with that? Yes, it, it yes. It was about the, the Freedom Riders, the kids that sat in, and how they risked their lives. And I said, this is an incredible I mean, it's a true story, but it's an incredible amount of drama, beautiful things here, but I'm not black, and that's not my story. And then I, I somehow went through the experience of putting the context of the music together with that story. And then the music was something that was mine. It was universally in the South at that time, and so I could share that. And so that brought those elements together. And then, as Todd said, it's about dreams. And, and one of my dreams is about you know, being one on this planet. What was it, Stephen, that possibly changed in the story structure once you started working with Todd? Did it got what, better. <laughs> that's a good answer yeah. to a good no, question. It, there must have been dynamics yeah. that came to it from Todd that m perhaps you hadn't considered. Yeah, there, there was, and I think, you know, Todd and I will never have a problem looking at a blank page, and we, we view that as virgin powder to run down you know, on skis on. So it's always a matter of do we go left or do we go right at this crossroads because that will affect everything that happens. And Todd is brilliant in structure. I don't, I've never met anybody, myself included, which is hard for me to say, but I've never met anybody that's better at looking at a script and saying, you know, I think it needs this. And then I think it needs a little bit over here. And structure is the main thing that he, being one of the main things, first things that he brings to that. So we began to see where is the real story, and we had to pare a lot of things away. And kind of like Hemingway said, you write it, you take it away, and then the presence is still there, even though that part of the story isn't visible on the page. In other words, it would be fair to say that you start with something incredibly, extremely large in script terms, and then you have to pare it down so much. That must be a challenge and very time-consuming. Well, it, it is, and it's also emotionally havoc-producing because you get attached to some element. You get attached to, this is important, I love this part. And you have to constantly serve the dramatic impact of what you are about, and you have to constantly remind yourself, or in my case, you know, Todd was constantly reminding both of us of what we were about. And you keep refining and refining and refining that and cutting away what's not absolutely necessary. And, and, and then you really have something. And for you, Todd, this will be a directorial debut. How do you work to retain that vision? And that's a question for both of you. You know, if you take this to a big studio or you finance in the wrong way, how is it that you are very focused on keeping that vision very tight? Well, I, I think that's part and parcel of what Presidio uh, will be. And Presidio is the film company. And, you know, we, I'm, I'm smart enough to know, and I've been around the business long enough to know that if I if a studio was financing that movie the first casualty would be me as a first-time director because it's it's a fairly ambitious project and it's a it's, it's a fairly ambitious script and it certainly is for a first-time director but steven and i are basically building a film company that we believe will change the landscape of independent film companies and it's been an arduous process to do this but by being successful at that, we can control the financing of the project 
and thereby, you know, preserve my position in it as the director. And that's really what we want to do. I know, uh, Todd, that you have just completed American Cartel that's in post-production where you were playing a, a lead part, playing Carson Clark. How do you change your mindset? How, how do you transition from the stress, the pressure of being in a production like that as a leading part to then turning your whole mindset to films like uh, The Midnight Hour? Is it, is it easy for you to do that? Possibly, I'm schizophrenic. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> what an admission. <laughs> you know, no, it, it's not that difficult because I, what I have found as I pursued my writer, producer, director uh, career um, is that it, it, whatever it is, to me, comes from the same creative flame, if you will. And so... It's just a matter of changing the dynamics of what it is I'm supposed to deliver. If I'm supposed to deliver a script, I, I can do that. If I'm supposed to deliver a performance, I can do that. If I'm supposed to know what to do and where to put the camera when, when we start rolling film on the midnight hour, I, I hope to God uh, that <laughs> I can do that. Um, I, but no, it, it's um, to me, it's, it, it's a bit of the same, you know? It's... The, the path is different, um, and I'm on a, a fairly steep learning curve, as, as Stephen will attest to, about, you know, the financial end of, of you know, putting the, the financial vehicle together to finance a slate of motion pictures. That has not been my typical cup of tea uh, over the last 25 or 30 years, and so I have had to, you know, I'm... Uh, in, in some ways, I wish I had uh, studied a little harder in that business school at the University of Texas, but... Uh, um, no, it's it all comes from the same flame as far as I'm concerned. It's just the, the delivery mechanisms change. What about you, Stephen? What is it that you've taken from Todd in this relationship? Have you been involved in film for a good length of time here? What is it that you see in Todd's craft that you take for yourself in your work and continue to create your own path? Well, working working with Todd is is a trip, man. It's it's a beautiful experience, and for him, uh, you know, the the whole world is just one big movie set, and he flows in and out of that seamlessly. And and as he said, if he's supposed to be in somebody's face with a gun to their head in one moment, and then he's supposed to walk into a boardroom and talk about something, uh, he he's many characters and he does them all well. So it's it's beautiful to see that. Also, he has an uncanny sense of of humor and diplomacy that uh, unfortunately I lack, and so I'm learning that from him to a great extent. <laughs> it sounds like you're a very patient man, Todd. Uh, well, I, I, I am, but you know, Stephen, uh, Stephen, uh, he exaggerates a little bit. You know, he's. Uh, I'll put it to you this way: I've been doing this a long time, and I, there's, uh, I've never. Uh, I've never had anybody be my my business partner uh, until Stephen Graham came along, and it was largely on the strength of uh, of uh, what he uh, brought with the Midnight Hour, and 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 then some. And uh, you know, in, in a weird way, we're sort of uh, you know a couple of guys in a foxhole uh, surrounded by the enemy, trying to figure out where we can get more ammo. 
What is it, Todd, that you, and I'm sure that we'll share another program to get further into some of these films, what is it now at this stage in your career that you take away from you as your greatest memories and working with great actors like Dennis Quaid, Gene Hackman, Kevin Costner? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I, I would have to say um, probably a couple of them. Probably the, a really pivotal moment for me was in The Apostle when... I jumped into uh, filming a scene uh, right after I got there. I didn't know the script that well. All I knew was that I had to be incredibly precious with the words that Duvall had written. Um, uh, and I didn't want to screw anything up or change any dialogue or anything like that. So I was really focused on just saying what was written. And, you know, on the first take, he, he starts zinging me with things that are not on the page. And, and I had to think about it for about a half a beat, you know, and I thought, well, okay. And I, I fired back, you know, some things that were not in the script. And we kept going and completed the scene, and, and, and the DP was running the camera and said, cut. And Duvall came running over to me with this huge grin on his face and, and you know, gave me a big hug. And he goes, I like that. I like that. <laughs> And it was such a, it was a real pivotal moment for me because it, it, you know, and I think that's probably why we're friends, you know, today. Uh, it was from that moment right there uh, where I sort of rose up and, and met him toe to toe. And, um, you know, that, that was, that's probably a really good memory for me. Do you sometimes go home after a film production and sit down with the family and think, wow just amazing this whole career working with these people i do i do and and sometimes you know i'll be sitting with the family and some movie i did 15 years ago will come on and and you know my, my little one will point at the screen and look at me like you know what is going on and that's always a pretty instructive thing too you know i look at stuff i did like silverado and 48 hours and uh you know, Poncho Barnes and stuff like that. And I look back on that and I think, wow, you know, how did I survive in this business? I knew so little. Uh, and I and I didn't know anybody when I got to Hollywood. You know, it was really one of those instances where I showed up and said, you know what, I, I, I can do this. And it's, it's largely been true. So, you know, I look back with... Uh, you know, a great deal of fondness on the whole process. And, and that's what it is for me. It's a process. And for you, Stephen Graham, what is it that you're looking forward to with your partnership with Todd in future months and years, particularly with uh, Presidio Films and the Midnight Hour? Well, I don't think you have that much time on your show left, David. So I will, I will just say that uh, we, we truly are, I think, on the cusp of creating um, something very special that can foster and nurture the passionate visions that, that we as creative artists carry and that other dedicated creative artists that we know carry and have been carrying around for years on a project because nobody else will get it made or they can't bridge the gap between that creative fire and the financial realities. And Presidio is going to be that. And Todd and I are looking forward very much to, to working together and creating that, not only for ourselves, but for other artists. And Todd, what are you doing in the immediate future here in the last 30 seconds of the program? You know, uh, I, I'm focused very, very diligently on a project that uh, we have called The Last Full Measure. Um, 
and it's dominating my time. Um, and that's a true story about a Medal of Honor recipient uh, from the Vietnam era. That's it's just a phenomenal project. Uh, and beyond that, um, rumor has it I'm going to have to cut my hair and put my gun belt back on and go do some reshoots for the uh, American Cartel movie. <laughs> so, you know, I may be doing that in the near future as well. Has the film industry got some exciting exciting things happening, Todd, here in the next couple of years for our listeners? I, I believe it does, and I, I believe that the the... The, that's why I think it's so important for Presidio to come into being right now. Um, I think that the future is going to be in in great stories, you know, made by independent companies, uh, largely financed independently, and uh, you know that's probably where some of the the, the greatest stories are going to live. The studios are all, all about tentpole movies and you know big summer releases and. You know what ha- what happens is the independent films largely get shuffled off to the side or never get made or never get seen or can't get released and I think that's where Presidio is going to going to you know be really viable as a company. Are your films going to inspire people about America, about the American dream and the way that we can continue to evolve this country? You know, I, I believe they are. I mean, every single one of the projects that are in the Presidio pipeline, are they're about something. They're about people. They're about human tragedy. They're about, you know, the, the human, uh, you know, it, it's about a man overcoming a, a, a terrible event in his past and, and finding success in some way. And, and that's even true of, of the Westerns. And, and I'm sorry we didn't get to talk about the Westerns too much today, but... That's even true in, in, in those movies that we have, uh, you know, and that's largely what I find to be the, the best about independent filmmaking is you can take a story like that and, and uh, you know, uh, take a tragedy and take a character that's, that's flawed in some way and have them find, you know, find redemption or find success or, or, or find something in their life that changes them. And, and that's, that's what a lot of these stories are about. Todd Allen, Stephen Graham, it's been a great pleasure having you on the program today. I'm sure that we'll be sharing more programs together in the future. Thank you very much, David. Thank you, David. And for our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this program as much as I have today. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 
visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.